The Canadian artist Ingrid Bachmann once told me she couldn't meditate because her mind couldn't settle itself just by sitting still. But walking, keeping the body in a rhythm of motion with light and air, she believed gave her the same focus. So I thought, maybe I could get the same rhythm by swimming. Swimming in the Chesapeake Bay would be perfect. So I put on my goggles and dove into the bay. And unlike the pool where I could torpedo myself off of a wall, here the current in part moved me. Or we worked together and I pretended I was an amphibian moving along the surface for easy access to oxygen, which was in contrast from the almost cinematic white patterns bouncing off the rocks and sand beneath me on the ground. The white vibrations reminded me of patterns on animals like giraffes or some man rays or turtle shell patterns or maybe the kind of microbe that's only visible under really macho microscopes. Of course I couldn't see the microbes swimming with me, but I knew they were there. Every once in a while, when I turned my head to breathe and the sunlight was almost blinding white for just a second, a few of these little organisms seemed to be floating there in front of my eyes. These were the ordinary blurry ovals with circles inside them. And I remember seeing this phenomenon as a kid on really bright, blinding days, right after our family moved from Hackensack, New Jersey, to the greener suburbs. When I asked my mom what they were, I was told, I was just making stuff up. No one can see anything that small. But I'd never seen daylight so bright, and I thought I was in paradise, where the sun was almost too bright to bear, and greenery and tall trees were everywhere and the rocks slowly aged. And I thought, the good microbes were like fairies taking care of us all. I later learned one of these magical fairy-like microbes were called coccolithophores, and one of their specialties was rising out of the ocean and turning into a gas. But in 2018, scientists discovered that a kernel inside of these coccolithophores could condense this vaporous gas into water droplets. In other words, most of these little fairies were rising from the ocean sea spray to make clouds. And scientists will say that if you dust their little bodies with gold, you can see they look like a dozen or so hubcaps all balled up together. But when the underwater critters die, instead of evaporating into a cloud, their little bodies sink to the bottom and become calcium carbonate, or chalk. I now imagine that coccolithophores, these chalky hubcap fairies, were swimming with me. And we were all moving with the slow, delicate tides, expanding the waves wider and wider on the water surface. And I remember an artwork by Ingrid where the entire gallery was covered in chalkboard paint. And some areas were painted white with drawings and writing, but others were written in chalk or coccolithophores. She did this because some things in history you can erase and some things just seem to be there forever. And by things, she meant knowledge. And since all the chalk in the world comes from these coccolithophores critters, that compress until they're eventually able to be extracted and teach the history of civilization according to, well, until recently, Western white men. 
But not only do we see coccolithophores on chalkboards in schools, we never study them. We've also never even heard of them. Maybe coccolithophores are like women, or people of color, or indigenous people, and other invisible people who built the civilized world. The coccolithophores even sacrificed their bodies so that chalk could pass on all the objects, symbols, trees of life, and monumental events man named after themselves before passing them on to the future. And this reminded me of a geohistorian who was looking at an election map, where night after night, CNN's Steve Kornacki displayed maps on the big board during the hotly contested 2020 presidential election, including details of the hundreds of little blue and red counties across America. And this geologist saw something interesting. He saw this swooshy blue shape of counties in the South. It was like a paintbrush stroke swooshing from Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and then up the East Coast. And the geohistorian thought, hmm, that looked just like the ancient coastline of the continent that was here during the Cretaceous period, a hundred million years ago. And then a guy named Latif on Twitter got really interested in the swooshing shape made by blue counties. So he researched previous elections and found a swoosh had existed in every presidential election since 1972. But before then, the 1960s, 50s, all the way back to the 19th century, there was nothing, no swoosh. It turns out that coastlines are the best habitats for biodiversity. They have a nice gradual incline for a multitude of critter conditions to survive along a relatively small region. And for almost a hundred million years, coccolithophores thrived and died along these ancient beaches. Eventually, their little bodies sank and became compressed calcium carbonate, or chalk, which eventually creates a very alkaline soil. And it turns out that alkaline is the best possible soil for growing cotton. This region and its swooshing shape that mimics the ancient coastline is known as the Black Belt. And this is where the famous 1960s civil rights activists marched above the compressed coccolithophores. There's even a place called Selma Chalk, near the famous bridge where Martin Luther King, John Lewis, Diane Nash, and so many other civil rights heroes attempted to cross in 1965 on what is now known as Bloody Sunday. So why did these blue counties not appear before 1972? Well, it turns out the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965, but it didn't kick in during the 1968 presidential election because of voter suppression. But it first began to make its mark in the 1972 election, when the voice of African Americans, silenced as free people for over 100 years, and descended from people who worked the cotton plantations rich in chalk, truly began to make their mark on the U.S. presidential elections. Now, I'm not saying these ancient microorganisms flipped the state of Georgia from red to blue in 2020, 
but they've been around for a hundred million years, and it does benefit their ability to make clouds for a long, long time to come if the U.S. would just do their part and join the Paris Accord. What is more well-known is that in 1919, the U.S. President Woodrow Wilson fought hard for the idea of, quote, no blame or humiliation for the Germans' role in World War I, fearing an uprising that would lead to a century of wars. However, Wilson caught the flu during the world's influenza pandemic. And that, even after his recovery, this microbial virus was said to change his judgment permanently. He was paranoid, thought the French were listening in the White House, and caved on his principles during the Treaty of Versailles negotiations. So we have to ask, what was the role of worldwide microorganisms in allowing Germany to rise to power again? And maybe, what was the role of coccolithophores in 2020? So anyway, I had no idea how long I'd been swimming, but I always thought swimming was the one sport where you can't get a drink when you need one. And while I was rhythmically stroking and breathing over and over again, I imagined, no, I wish I was one of those dinophysis dinoflagellates that when it saw something delicious, it simply ejected a straw from its body like a 7-Eleven Slurpee, stuck it into its prey and sucked out its chloroplast. Or its cousin, the beautiful Victorian Ornolithosorcus, who tosses cyanobacteria in its built-in basket. Now, these are single-cell organisms with built-in straws, harpoons, and baskets. And I thought, I'd like to have a built-in pocket. Maybe a waterproof one for my phone, or a straw for clean water. Or maybe the phone you are now holding, so you could watch where the animated bubbles and organisms will be enmeshed in your kitchen or any room next door to you. Suddenly, the bright caustic patterns disappeared, and I decided it was time to swim toward the shore. But I wasn't going forward. In fact, the harder I stroked, the more I was being carried away from the shore. I was tired, thirsty, and quickly realized I was in a rip current, a tide pattern where more swimmers die every year than from shark attacks. And I thought, oh no, what if the temperature was just right and the nitrates were high enough for me to be stuck swimming in a full-on algae bloom? And what if I was covered in green slime that was mucking up my presumed gills or my ears or like that woman who had a bee living in her brain until one day it finally came out of her eye? and I could have algae slime oozing out of my eye. I could suffocate here and now like so many oysters, blue crabs, and other Chesapeake follies. And after the dinoflagellate bloom is done, releasing an overzealous amount of oxygen, I'll sink with them until we get to the bottom of the bay. I thought, this is it. I have no phone or clothes. What am I gonna do? No one knows I'm here. And I could turn to carbon with the dinoflagellates and get crushed into minerals until some future civilization figures out a way to drill us out, rewrite history with us, or 
find a way to turn our corpses into something that will fuel their economy. I assumed I was having one of those fleeting feelings we humans get, like panic, or anger, or sadness. And I could just calm myself down with a little meditation practice. And so, I imagined my panic was more like an annoying fairy controlling my emotions, and I could just conjure it up, lean into it, see it. And eventually, like one of those cartoon clouds that appear, when you click and drag an annoying icon off your laptop dock until it goes poof and disappears into a cloud like the Kakalitha Force and the bad fairy's gone. So of course, I didn't get washed ashore or sink all gummed up in algae. Eventually, I found my way out of the bay and walked north along the shoreline safely to my Airbnb.